Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a patriotic young geek with an interest in cartoons, as I may have been, you will know that Canada has a proud history in the field of animation. You will hear the name Norman McLaren, and you'll hear about the NFB and the amazing experimental boundary-pushing animations that were created there. And of course, you'll know about John Kay, who created Ren and Stimpy, good local boy. You'll hear about the role that Canada played in the history of animation technology, computer graphics, alias, pivotal company, a Canadian company. All of this is included in A Nerd's Guide to Canada. But I guess what doesn't get talked about as much is how hard it is to reconcile that rich history with the realities of the animation industry here in Canada. As an industry, I think it got its start with Rocket Robin Hood and maybe it hit its apex with the raccoons. I don't know. I don't follow this stuff. Not anymore so much. But My guest today does. His name is Adam Hines. He's an animator in the trenches here. And along with his friend, Andrew Murray, he is the co-host of Guys with Pencils, a weekly podcast you can check out all about the animation industry with a specific emphasis on what's going on here in Canada and how that needs to change. Hold on for it. It's coming right up.
This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated, and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of, organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Canada Land is sponsored by Audible, who have 150,000 audiobooks, and they want to give you one for free. You can download one, any one of those audiobooks right now at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. Now, one audiobook that the audience of this show might enjoy was suggested to me by listener Rachel DeBrower, and that book is News, A User's Manual. It's by the popular philosopher Alain de Baton. I haven't read it yet. I read a different one by him on travel, and I really liked it. I like the way that this guy makes you think about things you do all the time in a completely new way. And news consumption seems like just that kind of thing, right? Like you just do it reflexively. It's just banal. You don't really think about what's going on when you read or watch the news. So, of course, I'm interested in this topic. Maybe you are too. I'm looking forward to this book. Check it out or any other book in Audible's massive library. Get one for free. AudibleTrial.com slash Canada Land. Do it now. So what do you do? Yeah, uh, animator. Yeah, right now I'm doing more design, which is pre-production. Animation is production work. Um, but animation industry is pretty much where I've been making my living. For how long? Uh, shit. How long? Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. Yes, you are. Okay. What have I been out of school for? I think it's been about four years, three, three to four years now Okay. that I've been working. So you have like my childhood dream job. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do as a kid. I wanted to make be, cartoons. I want to make cartoons. I want to be an animator. Yeah. And yet I listened to your podcast. Oh. And you sounded so sad. Uh, sometimes it's pretty rough. Why uh, are you so sad? I'm going to tell you a funny story. Okay. Um, so uh, my partner with the podcast, Andrew, um, he is a gigantic fan of the Batman animated series from the 90s, like that classic 
Warner Brothers, like Bruce Tim, uh, Batman. The one that they kind of like, it was like kind of dark. And yeah, stylish. yeah, like super, super stylized. Um, yeah, which is still amazing. And uh, he went to Fan Expo one year to go meet Paul Dini, who was like one of the big writers behind the show and kind of like helped sculpt the voice. And I think he was one of the people that kind of like helped create Harley Quinn. Like he's contributed a lot. He said to him, man, I really want to like, I want to work for Warner Brothers. Like this is, I want to make cartoons like Batman. And he just goes, the Warner Brothers that you love is dead. And that's usually like, that sounds really negative, but it, it, it's kind of a good thing to realize that like watching cartoons can be a ton of fun. And then you get into like the business side and actually making it. And sometimes it can feel, sometimes, not always, I'm going to, can feel a bit like a death march. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's one of the things that like I've I've learned from talking to a bunch of different people is... I know you said it's kind of like your childhood dream. Yeah. And it's an awesome job. Like, I can sound really negative. I get really grumpy sometimes. But yeah. it's an awesome job. But sometimes it can feel like you're working in a factory. Is that just because of the assembly line nature of animation where you have to just draw mild variations of the same drawing again and again and again and again? Is is that the thing that, that makes it not so fun? Well, so I've had an interesting... One uh, an experience that I'm grateful for having is I uh, not too long ago I finished uh, working for a studio in Los Angeles yeah on a show called Turbo Fast which is the first animated show being made for Netflix yeah um, it was for a studio called Tip Mouse and it was awesome like I loved working for them so having that had that experience where like I've worked for Canadian companies and I've worked for American companies and you always hear that like in Canada we have like a fraction of the budget and the schedule to make the shows that we make. You know, you hear it, like, as a student, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, but you don't really have any, like, point of reference or, like, experience. Yeah. And then having had that, like, I've experienced both now, like, that gap is pretty fucking huge. Like, you know, an example being, like, when I was working on an American production as an animator, I have to do, like, 16 seconds a week. 16 seconds of, like, good quality animation, like, that's reasonable. I've worked on productions where it's like, all right, we need you to pump out like 80 seconds a week. Uh-huh. So you can kind of just tell right there, like, well, the quality is going to... Yeah. Gonna, you know, like right there, like how can the quality be there when you have to produce that much? And it feels like a factory where it's just like, you got to crank it out. You got to get it done. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. Like just go, 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 go. So you were a lot happier when you were drawing for the American company. Yeah, yeah. And it, oddly enough, like, and I don't... It's weird. So I worked for this American company from my living room, like yeah. as freelance. Yet they trusted me more because there were times where I'd be like, you know, you get the storyboards and I'd be like, I kind of know what's going on, but like, this is how I'm interpreting it because it's not necessarily the clearest. What do you guys want me to do? And they'd be like, I don't know, man, whatever you think would work well. Uh-huh. That I, that, so I was like, okay, whoa, whoa, you're trusting me to like, to like interpret this and do it the way that I want to. And they're like, yeah. And like, oh, okay, well, I'm not used to that. Because normally like they can, in Canada, a lot of the productions that I've worked on are very like, you're more their hands. It's basically like, if I could just make this by myself, I would, but I can't. So I'm going to just treat you like an extra pair of arms. So do it the way that I want instead of everybody kind of contributing. Huh. That's really interesting and unfortunate because it's, it's actually the opposite. What you're describing mm -hmm. 
if the American company mm -hmm. has the budget to say, take your time, we want this to be done right, yeah. I would think that they would also be, and we want it done very specifically in this way. Yeah, then the quality, like, because they only want 16 seconds, they're like, the quality needs to be there. Like, our client was DreamWorks. Uh-huh. Like, this was a show based off of a multi-million dollar movie. Like, yeah. It's got to be, it's got to look good. So they hired you because they thought that you could do it, and they gave you the, the space. space to do it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and you know, like again, I don't want to sound overly negative because, like, having this job is awesome. And honestly, I don't know what the hell else I'd be doing with my life if it weren't for this kind of stuff. But it just seems like the experiences that I've had at Canadian studios, like, there's a through line to them where it's like we don't have the time, we don't have the money, uh, and you know, like, you have all these really amazing people, like just incredibly talented, funny people that aren't being given the space that they need to make something wonderful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Well, there's two things you're pointing at. One s seems pretty obvious. Yeah. The budgets are very different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the other one is is more of a work style yeah. difference, a mental difference about yeah. the amount of freedom and artistic license they give to the people they hire. So what what do you attribute that difference to? I do think that comes from the budget as well because we have such small budgets here you have to hire a bunch of students but because of that then you have to give them a ton of direction because they have no experience but they're the only real workforce you can kind of afford sounds like you're describing like kind of a sweatshop you know like, like get the cheapest people you can to do as much work as possible for as little money as possible the main difference being like people are treated well and like you can make a pretty good wage as an animator like I'm a friend I'm comfortable I don't really want for anything yeah but yeah it can feel like it feel it yeah yeah I'm you know like I'm trying to sound nice because like again I love this industry and I love the people that work in it but sometimes it feels a little sweatshoppy well listen, having listened to your show I, I certainly didn't get the impression that you're just like trashing the industry it seems to all come out of a place of a desire for it to yeah, be better, a desire yeah. for it to be excellent, and and an appreciation for of for the art form, yeah, yeah. Well, not just the art form, but of your community. I mean, one thing you know, you you, you said many times is you seem so exasperated because you're like, it's not like we don't have wonderful, talented people here. Yeah, well, it's one of you like, you know, you have a guy like um, I talk about him a lot because I love his work. There's this guy named Steve Wolfhard amazingly talented guy. He's a comic book artist. He's done stuff like Turdy Needs Work and uh, Cat Rackham. They're indie comics. But he's a storyboard artist on Adventure Time. He's he's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm catching some of the references that you're putting yeah, yeah. out. Uh, I'm, I'm like a little bit engaged in the world of animation right now, yeah, but yeah. not terribly so. So, Adventure Time is a Cartoon Network yeah, show. Yeah, it's pretty much the biggest cartoon on TV right now. As yeah. far as I know, like I don't know any numbers or anything, but it's just like... As far as what I see all over the internet at conventions, what I hear people talking about, like merchandise, it's got more merchandise on the market than anything else right and now. It's kind of this surreal show that's not necessarily for like a kid audience. Well, <laughs> so it it's for kids, but at the same time, like the main character lost their arm recently. Like it, it's it's a kids show, but it, it it feels more like kids. Do you remember kids' movies in, like, say, the 80s, early 90s, where it's like, it's for kids, but real shit happens in it? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so this is sort of the standard right now of, of good work being done. Yeah, cool. Well, let me put it this way. There was a point when I started in the industry, you'd hear execs go, we want the next SpongeBob. Yeah. Now they're saying we want the next Adventure Time. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> right? Right. Um, the writing is exceptional. 
Uh, it's a storyboard-driven show, so a lot of the board artists do most of the writing. Mm-hmm. And That's cool. I remember a, a big complaint. I remember John Chris Felusi, the Ren and Stimpy guy, yeah, yeah. talking about how uh, one of his big beefs with um, you know corporate animation was that the mm-hmm. people writing it weren't cartoonists. Oh yeah, um, you know. So actually, people who draw, who have that visual storytelling sensibility, doing the the writing I, is it kind of a crucial. Yeah. So you have this Canadian dude who's just incredible. And yeah. He, and then like. Just like a lot of Canadians, they're being grabbed by, like, Los Angeles and being brought over there to work on their shit. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like we have the talent again. Like, I I saw a, a buddy of mine, um, he got called by uh, Gennady, the guy that created, like, Samurai Jack and stuff, and was just like, yo, I want you to board on the next um, Hotel Transylvania. Which was like a, a big oh shit was it Sony yeah I think it was a big Sony flick right so again the talent is here it's yeah not the issue the people is not the issue it's well the training is here I remember you know when I was uh, when I had that childhood dream of being an animator it was all about getting into Sheridan mm-hmm. it was all about to that's the why week. I went <laughs> okay so you're a Sheridan alum yeah so yeah this was I remember in my high school illustration class uh, this was where everybody aspired and there was like there was the kid who drew better than me and then there was the kid who drew better than that kid yeah. and that guy didn't get into Sheridan this was yeah. like yeah, the, yeah. the hard of I, I knew that like Disney was recruiting out of Sheridan so yeah, yeah. In, in not dissimilar to what's happening in Waterloo with Silicon Valley like we we, we have the training we're pumping out the talent mm-hmm. and even you've got uh, schools like Seneca which has improved a lot and you see a lot of really talented people coming out of there uh-huh is there a Canadian show that's like, oh, that's the one where we got it right? Like, is there no. like an example? No. <laughs> no. And that's the frustrating part is I know there could be. Again, you look at a show like Adventure Time that's so out there but brilliant. And that show couldn't exist. In, like, that, it would get noted to death. It would get changed. Like It would get noted to death notes from the network, you mean? It would get too much well, interference. Uh, well, just... Like, because I'll hear around where I work be like, oh, we got notes from this. And I'm always like, from who? Like, who's the client? Who are we making these for? Who's controlling this? Basically, like, who's the notes from? Who's the client? Who's the network? And then... Because they could come from the production company. They could come from the broadcaster. Yeah, like all these things that I I, I just don't understand. Like, and I also uh, recently found out, I was like, man, I kind of feel like the scripts for some of our shows are kind of weak sauce. And then somebody was like, oh, don't get me started on the writer's union. And I was like, well, what's, there's a writer's union? Like, I have no idea about any of this shit. And they were like, we basically, the people that are writing for the cartoons in Canada, we have to use this union. And to them, this is their McDonald's job. They all want to be writing movies. Yeah. So they're just like slumming it in cartoons until they get the gig that they want, which is why like sometimes scripts feel half-assed. I mean, talking to you, it's clear that there is a whole universe yeah. Of animators who, and, and, you know, this person's respected and this person's cool. considered a great artist. And like, yeah. this is not a means to something better. You live and breathe making cartoons. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, for me, like, a, a lot of my passion is cartoons and video games. And then this is, so let me make a comparison that frustrates the shit out of me. Okay. So we have world-class game studios in this fucking city. Like, and I'm not even just talking about, like, oh, we've got Ubisoft, which is this big international thing. I'm talking about, like, Capybara and uh, Drinkbox, who are making, like, critically acclaimed, well-selling games as independent studios that are unique Mm -hmm. and creatively pushing boundaries and stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, so they're doing it. So Ubisoft, just we'll, 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 I'll just slow this down when necessary. Yeah. Ubisoft being this big multinational, like it's a, I think it's a French-owned company, huge yeah. budget, big budget yeah. games, and we, they have studios. They have a studio in Montreal. They hire people to to, to work yeah. on them. When they opened up shop there, the circumstances were that 
I believe the government was paying 50 cents on the dollar for every job that they created. So yeah. it was really a question of cheap labor. But uh-huh. you, but you talk about Capybara, and uh, so the re- that's an indie studio. Like yeah, that's, uh, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the reason why I brought up Capybara and uh, Drinkbox, and you also got guys like Golden Gear Games, which are still fairly young, and they're working on their first game. But, like, these people, they're from here. Like, they're opening, like, they're building from the ground up, and they're making world-class shit. So it's like, okay, so there's a proof of you have the people, you have the drive, they're making great stuff. And then you look at comics, we have world-class comic artists and comic creators and all that stuff in the city. So they're doing it. Comics are doing it. Video games are doing it. Why isn't animation doing it? Why? Well, I don't know. Like, that's the problem, is I would love to know. And I think it, 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 like, animation is a lot of work. Like, not saying that video games aren't, but... Like making an animated show can take a really, really long time. And what is this? What does your job look like? Are you in your house? Are you are you in a studio with dozens of other people, each drawing like the next frame, the next frame? Like, uh, so it depends. I mean, um, my first job, I was uh, working on. Oh man, I always get nervous when I talk about where I worked. I don't want to get in trouble. Um, I don't know why I would though. But uh, for most of my jobs, it's been me at a studio, and like you're basically working with. Uh, there's actually not a lot of drawing and animation which is a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize when I got into it, you know, because you go into school and you're like, I want to draw all the time, and then you get an animation job, and you're like, there's fucking no drawing. So what what do you do then? You basically have, like, drawings that are already done by, like, designers and and stuff, and then you move them around. And it's basically kind of like 3D modeling in the sense where it, like, you can create movement, and it records that movement, and then at the end you have this thing where it's a scene, and it looks finished. And sometimes you draw new pieces for the characters, um, but most of the time you don't. Mm-hmm. I even my first job, they were like, "Don't draw shit." I was like, "We don't want you to draw shit." So is it more like puppeteering, where you've kind of got like a pre-made character, Kinda, and, yeah. and your and your job is to animate yeah. that, yeah, not by redrawing, but by by moving. Yeah, pretty much. And then, uh, and, and, and again, example the difference uh, when I was working for the American company, they wanted more drawings. They're like, "Don't use tweens," which is basically like the puppet style, like. The, this is getting really technical now. Tweening is what it's called to take a drawing and move it without changing the drawing. Yeah. So they're like, don't tween shit, draw everything. Like, we want, like, as traditional as we can. You know what I mean? I've done a bit of this. I'm just trying to help people visualize. Like, no, it's, it's sort of like it, tweening is like, it, you could say, okay, here's a box at the top of the screen and then 30 seconds later, it's at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And the same box just sort of moves, like, in a computer-y yeah, way. Change. It's it just, just like, like eh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that, folks. Yeah. Just uh, think of, <laughs> But if you're animating, Ooh. you're, like, giving it a little flavor. You're giving it a little character. You're, you're... I, I'll use this as an example just simply because I think it's a good <laughs> base point for people that they'd understand. Like, traditional animation is more Disney-like. Yeah. Not necessarily, it's like, stylistically, but that's how they did it. Like, just lots of drawing. Yeah, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. Tunes, a lot of like Japanese stuff is still drawn. And that's when you read like Chuck Jones's books. It's like he's like animators are actors. Like I would look in the mirror. I'd think about how does a character move when they're angry and you know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, right. when we were in school, they're like you're an actor with a pencil, and it's absolutely true. Like you're trying to get a performance across, and sometimes that performance is a fart joke, and sometimes that performance is like a real thing that's kind of happening. Like you need to get emotion across. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's in the guts of it. I, I, we sort of <laughs> we delved into that for a little bit. Just I, I mean, it, it's it's cool just to get a sense for your passion of, of for the craft. I mean, I think you know, it, it, so much stuff just looks like they're kind of churning out product. Yeah, and, it feels you know. that way sometimes. So we we were getting at something though, uh, which was the distinction between why can small Canadian video game companies make stuff at the top of the game? Yeah, yeah. 
why can Canadian comic book artists yeah. create stuff that is as good as what's being produced anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. and yet Canadian animation houses have yet to produce a series that stands with the best stuff out there? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you wonder if you're like, are these? There's is there old systems in place that are kind of like that back then worked, but are fucking us now? Like I don't know. I don't know how. Like what are you talking about? Like oh, there has to be Canadian content in these shows and shit. Yeah, but it feels like there's too many hurdles. Like, if you want to make something new and interesting, like, again, let's talk about Adventure Time. That show is probably horrifying to an exec when you're just like, we have this really emotionally, like, I know this show is funny and cute, but now we have this really, like, hardcore episode where, like, some real shit happens and this main character loses his fucking arm. Yeah. I can imagine a CEO being like, no, no, are you out of your goddamn mind? Like On a kid's animation show. Yeah. Yeah, on paper, that's not going (laughs) to, you don't want to pitch that. No, but but then you, so part of me is like, well, did they just trust the creators on that show? Or are there less hurdles? Are the systems more open? Like, LA is an entertainment city. That's what they do. That's how they're known. So maybe that's why it's easier for them to do kind of like... Yeah. Scarier shit. Uh, well, you know, we were talking earlier about letting actual animators and cartoonists write the scripts. Yeah. And, you know, the union, nobody wants to say anything bad about unions. Uh, but, you know, if you're not in the writer's union, you can't write a script for a Canadian series. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to suggest, I, I, I don't want to be coy here. I'm going to suggest to you that, there, that the difference might have a lot to do with the fact that if you're making an, an, a video game, mm-hmm. there's no government bureau that has to stamp it. Yeah. A CanCon video game. Yeah, that's true. There's also not the middleman of a broadcaster. Yeah. You make a video game, you put it on the internet. If it's a good one, and it'll. Maybe you have a publisher, you work with them within their guidelines, but more, yeah. More often than not, you're right. You just make it and you put it out. You're making a product directly for the market. Yeah. I think that that might be a. A yeah. factor here. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, which is, again, like, for me, one of the, you know, I also, this is another thing we talk about all the goddamn time, is we just feel like TV's dying. Yeah. And you have a lot of people, like business folks, that don't know how to handle this, where it's like, well, is money supposed to come from TV? This is how it works. And they don't understand, like, like the new shit, like the internet is still the Wild West, right? And, the, like, People still can't figure out how to monetize certain things on there uh, without taking serious losses, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I got really excited uh, about working on that Turbo Fast show because it's like Netflix. It's coming out on Netflix. It's for Netflix. Netflix is at the client. I'm like, to me, that's like the future of TV and shit. So this makes sense. And that got me excited to work on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, wow, people are actually going to watch this thing that I worked on. <laughs> yeah. Actually, having an audience is pretty good, too. Because yeah. if you talk about, like, name me some Canadian-made animation shows. Um, not necessarily ones you've worked on. Like, like just let's just name some Canadian cartoons. Sidekicks. Uh, oh, see, because there's some, too, that, like, because... Like, I've worked on Arthur the Aardvark for a little bit, but I don't know if that's necessarily, would you consider that a Canadian show? Like, I don't know. A lot of these are co-productions with other countries. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, what are Canadian-Canadian shows? Uh, Total Drama Island. Uh, I think Sidekicks. I was going to say a show called Almost Naked Animals, but I think the guy that created that show is an American. So, again, is that an American show? I don't know. 
offer. I mean, I'm not really up on this stuff these days, yeah. but I know just from having Netflix when you were like, oh, the Netflix uh, Turbo Show. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see that. Yeah. I see that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. The, and, they're, they're, and there's marketing behind that. There's advertising behind that. And then mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the DreamWorks Netflix snail show. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know any of those other shows you just mentioned. I've never – I mean, maybe that doesn't say much because I'm not really watching a lot of animation these days that isn't mm-hmm. geared towards my, my, my three-year-old kid. But I, I, I wonder what the numbers are for some of these Canadian shows. Yeah, I mean, you get curious, too, because, you know, like, you, I, I feel like there are people kind of holding on to this old business model. And then I wonder, like, how much money is this really making you? Like, really? Because I can't imagine it, it's that much, uh, considering the way everything's going. You know, Do you think it's possible, like, I know that with a lot of Canadian TV production, it's not about having a hit show. It's about getting a green light. And then you get money to make a show. And then the profits for the production company lie in making it as cheaply as possible and keeping what's left over. It's not about having a hit show that, you know. Yeah. So actually, here's the thing that just crossed my mind. And I'm not going to name anyone on this. But I, uh, one of the shows that I worked on ended after three seasons. And we were under the impression that ratings were good. And they're like, apparently this was like a really popular show. As, like as far as the studio goes, this was a really successful show for them. But they were more interested in cutting it after three seasons and then putting it into syndication. Like, that was kind of the whispers that I heard through the studio, where it's like, that way they can still make money off of it, but then they don't have to pay people to make it. Uh-huh. And, and, you know. Yeah. And, and again, it gets funny, because I'm like, you guys are the fucking people that said you wanted the next SpongeBob, but you're not willing to take any of the risks or let anybody do their fucking job so that we can make something that good. Right. One thing I heard on your show is you, is that you said that we have all these safety nets in Canada. Like, do you think mm-hmm. that like that's part of the problem? Like, maybe. I mean, that was with uh, uh, Ricardo from House of Cool, right? Uh, and and he was talking about how he okay. So he was this guy, an insanely talented dude. He graduated from school when like the animation industry was booming, and like he had studios paying him to come out to L.A. and take interviews, right? Like, he talked about how he showed up at an, el- at an airport and there was a limo waiting for him at the studio. Like, this was like the, this is when you could get very, very fucking wealthy by being an animator. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, and he, like, worked in a bunch of big studios and ended up at Pixar. And then he came back and started House of Cool. Um, so, like, he's a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for. And he was saying that the difference between... Canada and America is that in Canada you have a bunch of safety nets which isn't necessarily a bad thing but he's like sometimes the attitude with the Canadians could be like why bother whereas in America they have the attitude of why not right whereas like sometimes Canadians can feel a little like well things are fine so why bother yeah I mean and and unfortunately like in an industry like creating entertainment and art and stuff you need to strive to be as good as you can or you will become obsolete insanely fast well people are rational and they respond to like you know negative and positive uh, stakes right yeah so I think that there's a big stake if you're actually gambling like if you've got the green light from a broadcaster that's put that's like totally footing the bill mm-hmm. and they and the show's a bomb yeah then you don't have a show anymore. Yeah. So your incentive in that circumstance is this has got to be explosive. Yeah, it's got to be as good as it can be. It can't be a six out of ten. You know, yeah. it's, it's got to – got we got to go for it if we want to have another season. And the positive incentive there is – and if it is a ten out of ten, everybody gets rich. Yeah. Whereas here, I wonder if it's like 
you know, nobody gets too rich and nobody <laughs> and nobody gets fired for mediocrity. There's a lot of shows here that are kind of like going into like multiple seasons that like you're kind of like, really? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, like I don't have TV anymore, but when I did, I would watch commercials on like the CBC and they'd be like, oh, this show's going into another season. And every time I see a commercial, I'm like, this just looks boring. Like I don't under, like, what is this? <laughs> you're an animator working in television and you don't have television? No, dude, why bother? Like, there's no point. My problem and the issue that I run into is I try to, like, find ways to help solve these problems and kind of, like, some, you know, obviously we do this podcast. I'm really interested in the culture and the art form and moving everything forward and making us better. But, like, I don't understand how Canadian TV works. You know what I mean? Because I can't comprehend, and this just might be because I'm a, you know, stupid artist that's just like, man, just let us create, man. But, like, when you have all these people that want to make rad shit, why not just get out of their way and let them make rad shit? I feel like there are business people at, say, like Cartoon Network that kind of look at the stuff that these people are making and go, and, and let's say they're not cartoon people. They're just business people that ended up in the animation business. And they might go, I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing. You've heard of Penny Arcade, right? It's a website, right? Yeah, Penny Arcade is a digital, like a webcomic. It's the biggest one on the internet. Like the guys that created it are loaded. Um, Robert Koo is like their business guy and he kind of took them from two dudes working out of their apartment like eating ramen to being extremely wealthy and like this is a big company now and one time in an interview he said you know they asked if he ever kind of like puts um you know if they're making something does he ever put his foot down and go no that's stupid and he goes that's not my job it's my job to let them do what they need to do and what they want to do because i trust them that they know what they're doing and then it's my job to sell it and make it profitable and I wanted to kiss him when I heard him say that because yeah. that sounds like the way it should be. If you have somebody that grew up watching cartoons, dreamed about making cartoons, has been making cartoons on his free time, went to school for making cartoons, and that's all that person wants to do, don't tell them how to fucking make cartoons. <laughs> but your assumption is that if you just let these artists do their thing – yeah you might have the next Adventure Time and the role of the mm -hmm. producer to facilitate their creativity and monetize it. Yeah. And then you could have a show that's doing millions of dollars yeah. in it's merchandising. Very, it's very pie in the sky. I it's not like. pie in the sky. That happens all the time. There yeah. are hits. Yeah. But we just, but if, but if we simultaneously cannot name a Canadian hit, yeah. then from the producer's point of view, they're like, well, how am I going to accomplish what's never been accomplished before? You're saying if yeah, I just let true. these artists do their thing, I could have a huge hit and get rich. Well, name me one other person who's yeah. done that. Yeah. Instead, I would probably want to give them a list of people going like, okay, so here's a list of people that like went to L.A. and worked on all these shows and helped make these shows hits. Because here's the cool thing, too, is it's very common for a lot of Canadian artists to move to Los Angeles or somewhere in the States, and most of them come back. Yeah. Because... Like, I really like living in Canada. I know this country's got its fair share of problems and shit, but I'm a really proud Canadian and whatnot, right? Yeah. Like, I, you know, my wife and I have had very serious conversations where it's like, would we ever move to the States for work? And I was like, I kind of don't want to. So you could, and you have worked in the States, and you could work in the States, and you get paid more money when you work in the States, and you like the work better. Yeah. When, and again, I just want to say, like, when I was working for the American company, it was out of my home. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like the wonderful thing about the internet is I can work internationally from my... Do you work on an American project from yeah. your desk in Canada? Yeah, yeah. If you just sort of leapfrog the whole, like, don't don't try to get any money from Telefilm. Mm -hmm. Don't try to get on the card, you know, t uh, Teletoon. Yeah. Yeah. You look at places like Cartoon Hangover, uh, which is a channel on YouTube that was started by the the, the, the 
studio called Frederator, and they're producing, uh, like I mentioned a show earlier called Be and Puppycat, that's being made for YouTube, and it's an insanely high-quality thing. Like, this isn't just two people. This is, like, they have a crew, and then it gets animated, and, and they put, you know, and they have, like, a million and some subscribers, I think. Uh-huh. You know, so they're making it work as far as I can tell. That stuff gets me excited. Yeah. Because I want to see that stuff happening here. Because, again, we can do it. We have we have the people, you know, and you have all these talented people that are so good they went to L.A. and they're coming back. Like, I want to see them doing more shit like that. Like, let's work around these roadblocks that we seem to have to deal with in the Canadian ecosystem and kind of, like... And I wonder, like, maybe somebody does some shit on the internet that gets huge, like, and then the business people kind of look at that and go, like, okay, you know, because you were even saying, like, why would I invest in something that's never been done before? Well, maybe if we can show them that we can do it, maybe maybe then they'll take... They'll yeah. Take, and then, but then again, is it even worth it? Like, if you're already doing it on your own, then why the fuck would you need a business person? Yeah, if, if you were talking... I mean, the kind of success you're talking about is about a grassroots thing where you get, like, 100,000 followers on YouTube and then you're able to monetize your work. Mm-hmm. So why are you trying to get Teletoon to back you on that? Yeah. You know, like, well, you, you would probably want to own the property and do that yourself. I worry, too, because I wonder if we're going to hit a point where it's not really possible to have any, like, original Canadian shit and we're just going to become, like, an outsource country. Because this is one thing that I learned from doing the podcast and talking to a lot of American animators and, and whatnot, and this blew me away. We are referred to overseas, by the states we are essentially the equivalent of like sending it to china or korea we're like a banana republic for cheap labor yeah like send it to like send it to those cheap canadian animators. as far as i as yeah based off of the stuff that i've heard as far as i can tell like what they'll just be like oh we'll just send it overseas and i'm like what the fuck man we're your name like no we're not overseas like we're right here where you bring a lot of us over there like it just the but and then i'm part of me is like well that's kind of the that's what we've put forward. Like, yeah. It feels like. Yeah. Like the Simpsons does all their, like, you know, like sends, sends it off to Korea to get it done cheaper. Mm-hmm. You would never think of sending it off to Korea for them to, like, punch up the jokes or, yeah, you know, exactly. write an episode. Exactly. But that's where you can get the animation done. Exactly. For pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Our, our workforce here may be, like, just cheap overseas labor, but then you got Canadians down there writing the scripts and doing the, and directing the episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and that's, man, that's another whole topic when I hear people are like, oh, yeah, people are going to, like, like Taiwan or whatever to teach people how to use Flash over there. And I'm like, oh, so you're training them to take our fucking jobs. That's great. And we're already outsourcing. Like, we're, like, fantastic. I don't need to eat. Whatever. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> but do you really want to be competing with Taiwan? Well, I don't. For but cheap labor. Like, wouldn't you rather be competing for the best show? I, absolutely. And then, but then again, and see, and I fall into this trap too, because part of me is like, well, we got to make it better. We got to take risks. And then I'm like, fuck, I got to pay rent. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it gets, the reality kind of kicks you in the dreams every now and then. And you're just like, shit. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why, like, uh, because of the podcast, we get a lot of students kind of asking us questions and asking us for advice. And I'm always like, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, have your own thing. I don't give a shit if it's an online comic, if it's a little, if you know, if you're making gifts for the internet, if, you know, whatever, if it's some stupid podcast that you started with your buddy when you graduated, like, that is going to offer you more creative freedom and more opportunities than... Like, there's this guy that I befriended because of the podcast. His name's Justin Chan. And the dude's, like, 18, 19. He's, like, 
he was fucking 17 when I met him. Stupid, talented kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, he's got like thousands of followers on Tumblr, thousands of followers on Twitter because he's just constantly putting his shit out there. Yeah. And he's making himself, you know, visible and he's doing cool stuff and he's getting professional work. Like he's working for world class indie game studios because they liked his stuff. Uh huh. Um, and I'm just like, okay, well, you're doing it right. Like I can't, like the industry where we live right now. The only thing I can offer you as far as advice goes is to work your ass off and hope for the best because you're not really giving an, you're not really given any opportunities to make meaningful decisions. But this, this is yours and this might be something one day. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me at any time at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm also on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website for the show is canadalandshow.com. Don't forget to download your free audiobook right now at audibletrial.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Christopher DeMello, who produced this episode. If you like Canada Land, recommend it. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>